Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Gale to Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. To Act Otherwise 13. Out of the fucking way! Beatrix shoved Carmagnola just as the drowner lunged at him. She hacked its belly open with her sword. The doctor scrambled away, swinging his dagger at the closest drowner to him. They were ugly bastards, looked like waterlogged corpses, if corpses had sharp teeth and claws. The drowner swung at Carmagnola, and he stepped to the side. He remembered Beatrix's training, and gripped his dagger tight. Instead of instinctively slashing down in a huge arc, he pulled his blade close to his chest and thrust it three times at the monster. It struck each time. The drowner shrieked and stumbled into the lake before collapsing. There were no more drowners near Carmagnola, but he saw Beatrix surrounded by four. He shouted her name and ran towards her, but she pointed at him and shouted, Stay the fuck back! She looked like a goddess of battle, dressed in plate armor, curly hair tied in a bun, sword and gauntlets slick with blood. Her eyes were narrowed, her jaw set, her lips pulled back in a snarl. One of the drowners tried to bite her arm, but she knocked it away and split its skull open with a two-handed strike. The second drowner leapt up, but was cleaved open when she shifted her weight and swung. The remaining two drowners attacked in tandem. Beatrix ran the first one through and flung its body at the final drowner. It tumbled down in a tangle of limbs. Beatrix calmly walked over and thrust her sword down, and the contract was complete. Carmagnola's hands were shaking, though he had only fought one drowner. He took a cautious step back as Beatrix walked towards him. His foot got caught in the muck, and he fell on his ass. Beatrix chuckled and held her hand out. Not bad for your first time hunting monsters, doctor. By what measure, Carmagnola said, a little harsher than he meant. By the fact that you didn't shit yourself. Now come on, up we go. I must have been mad tagging along with her, Carmagnola thought, staring at the bloodied hand held out at him. I'm no warrior. Why did I join her? The answer was because he wanted to stay with her. Why did she let me join, he thought a moment later. The answer was because she wanted to stay with him. Then I am mad, the doctor thought. She's dangerous, has a taste for killing. I'll get myself killed if I stick with her. Why should I? The answer was because he liked it. His heart pounding in his chest, his breath quickening, his mind emptying of all thoughts except surviving one second longer. Carmagnola was pissed scared, but he also felt alive. And he liked Beatrix too. There was no denying that. Carmagnola took Beatrix's hand 
and she hauled him out of the muck. 14. Ethramel stepped through the portal and was once again in Signet's tower. The sorcerer wondered how long until he started to think of it as his own tower. He looked around his bedless room and saw two elves waiting for him. They looked familiar. One elf was fair-haired and the other was dark-haired. Ethramel had only met them once in the town of Undying, when they were providing him directions to Enna's brothel, but he had a feeling they would be great friends one day. Adro and Ranith, he said to the elves. It's good to see you, kin. You as well, the dark-haired elf named Adro said. We were starting to wonder whether we'd see you again. What happened to your face? The fair-haired elf named Ranith said. Never you mind. I'm pleased Enna delivered my letter to you two, and I'm even more pleased you fulfilled my request. I must admit I wasn't sure if you were sympathetic to our people's plight. Ethramel then added, Thank you for taking care of the two Scoyatel here. It's the least we can do for old comrades, Adro said. They're getting enough food and water for now. Do you suspect any more kin will hide in this tower? Ethramel shrugged, for he truly didn't know. He had always seen Signet's tower as a safe haven for himself, but there was no reason he couldn't let more unsaid stay. He knew better than most how difficult it was to not have a home. There may be more coming. Depends on who I run across, I suppose. Well, either way, Ranith said, the Nilfgaardians haven't come by to investigate this place yet. The Alderwoman Lassa and Enna have convinced the garrison commander that to do so might reignite Signet's curse, which would turn the townsfolk against them, and it seems Nilfgaard is very concerned with keeping the townsfolk happy. But who knows how long that'll last. Hopefully long enough. Ethramel paused. Were you two, uh, just waiting for me all day? The elves nodded. Wanted to talk to you face to face, Adro said. Would have waited all night if we had to. What's the next step, Ranith said, getting to the point. You've got your safe haven for our people, but then what? Next, I build capital, Ethramel thought. And once I have that, and a small commando of elves, who knows? Perhaps we return to Doblathana and take over. Perhaps we create a new Doblathana. Ethramel told Adro and Ranith, Let's make sure we have everything in order before we think about next steps. I'll reimburse you for the supplies you're delivering here. No need, Ranith said. It's the least we can do for kin. Will you be staying long? Adro asked. Ethramel shook his head. I'm leaving tomorrow morning. I've chartered a boat ride with one Bathic of Rivia. He's to help me deliver goods up the Asmina River. Then before you go, Ranith said, at least tell us why you're doing all this. Just out of the goodness of your heart? Is that so hard to believe? Ethramel thought. Why does everyone assume I'm only ever in it for myself? Ethramel remembered Shenny's parting words back in Kalmek. Go then, traitor. Leave your scars elsewhere, if you can. But don't show your face to us anymore. I'm doing this, Ethramel told them, because it's the right thing to do. 15. Beatrix's sword rested against the wall of the infirmary. She paced back and forth. The street was empty, and the lantern by the door was the only source of light around. Carmignola saw the worry on her face as he approached. Nicola with the barber surgeon? Carmignola asked. Beatrix glared at the doctor, but her expression quickly softened. Yes, they've been in there for an hour now. The surgeon says I'll only break his concentration if I watched. An hour seemed a long time for simple surgery. Carmignola did not say that, however. Instead, he said, Nicola's tough. He'll make it. Beatrix nodded and went back to pacing. Carmignola coughed. 
He wasn't sure why he was checking in on Beatrix. After all, he owed her nothing, and with her curse long lifted, he no longer had to trouble himself with thoughts of her, just as she never troubled herself with thoughts of him. So then why did he feel compelled to talk to her? How did you two, uh... How did you two meet? Carmagnola asked. Beatrix raised an eyebrow at the doctor. The same way I met most people back then. I tried to kill him. I thought he was that bloody sorceress who cursed me. Fortunately, Nicola disarmed me. But when the nightmare passed and I explained what happened, he... he just stuck around. He said he wanted to help me lift the curse. How did you end up doing it? Carmagnola asked. Lifting the curse, I mean. Turned out to be pretty simple, Beatrix said, though it took a witcher to point it out to us. I kept seeing the sorceress in my waking nightmares, and the only way to be rid of her was to kill her for good, which meant something belonging to the sorceress had to be on what I killed. Fortunately, I had a ruby necklace that I took from the sorceress's body as proof of her death. Nicola helped me pin the necklace to a necker. No easy feat. And after that, Beatrix opened both her palms. The curse was lifted. I still had normal nightmares, of course, but at least I wasn't trying to kill anyone anymore. Carmagnola nodded. It was obvious, of course, once a witcher pointed it out. Why was he here? He didn't owe Beatrix anything. What did he care how she met Nicola or how she broke the curse she brought on herself? If she had listened to him a decade ago and not gone into that plowing castle, she wouldn't have been cursed in the first place. Beatrix and Carmagnola stood there, under the lantern light. Silent. Carmagnola didn't know what else to say. Carmagnola, I... Beatrix paused and he saw that similar, pained expression that came whenever she asked for help. But it passed quickly, and her look softened. I wanted to apologize for the things I said yesterday. I, um, I justified leaving you because I was young, but that's no excuse. I realized after you left me and Nicola to hunt the griffin, I realized that was exactly what I did to you a decade ago, and that was wrong. I'm sorry. Thank you, Carmagnola said without thinking and was surprised at himself for saying it. And he was even more surprised when he added, I am sorry too, for not going back down with you two. Carmagnola sucked in breath. He never imagined Beatrix would apologize to him, and he never imagined he would apologize to her. But to act otherwise seemed wrong. Thank you, Beatrix said. A cool breeze passed through, shaking the lantern. Carmagnola said, I think I've come to realize that, while we both made mistakes... Things turned out okay for us. I think so too, Beatrix said. The silence returned, and Carmagnola coughed. Let me, um, let me go and check on Nicola. Maybe I can help. He went into the infirmary before Beatrix could respond. Yarno, the barber surgeon, was holding a lantern in his mouth as he tried to stitch up the etherized Nicola. His eyes lit up at Carmagnola, and he spat the lantern into his hand. Carmagnola, good, good. Come here and hold this lantern, boy. I'm almost done. Carmagnola held the lantern as Yarnor returned to stitching the gash at Nicola's side. The big man's face was still ugly, but he looked at peace. Will he be okay? He asked Yarno. Eh? The barber surgeon looked up at Carmagnola for a moment. Oh, he'll be fine. Should make a full recovery. I whipped up some medicine for any infection. And it takes twice as long to stitch in the dark, so hold that damned lantern for me. I heard the griffin was killed but it doesn't look like anyone else got hurt in the hunt. Sorry to say, we won't make much coin healing the wounded tonight. Don't worry about that, Carmagnola said. He had completely forgotten about the deal he made with Yarno yesterday, to split the profits they made healing the wounded. 
Carmagnola felt strangely light, as peaceful as Nicola looked. Hold that lantern higher, the barber surgeon said. When Yarno was finished, Carmagnola walked out of the infirmary and said to Beatrix, Nicola will be okay. You can see him now. Beatrix smiled and picked up her sword. Thank you, Carmagnola. Don't mention it. Maybe I'll see you around. Maybe you will. He likely never would. But that, Carmagnola decided, was all right. 16. For the twentieth time that day, Carmagnola stared at the clock in the corner. It was just past noon. How can that be, the doctor thought. I've only been here four hours, and it feels like four years. Carmagnola sat in a small chair, in a small infirmary, in a small Redanian town. The old doctor had warned him things would be slow, but Carmagnola didn't believe him. When he graduated Oxenfurt not three months ago, he had grand visions of rushing wounded soldiers from the battlefield, of saving lives and limbs at the last minute, as the din of combat sounded around him. The truth, Carmagnola quickly discovered, was much more mundane, at least when there wasn't a war raging. Carmagnola had taken to the road after graduation, hoping to make some coin for himself and gain that venerated, real-world experience his professors always braid about. Experience, Carmagnola muttered to himself, for he was all alone in the small infirmary. Most I've done is soothe some sore throats and pull a pitchfork out of a drunken farmer's ass. Carmagnola looked to the clock in the corner. It hadn't moved. The old doctor was nowhere to be seen. Off napping, most like. Carmagnola wondered if he should take a little nap himself. Just a quick one to regain his energy and... The door opened and a young woman with curly brown hair hobbled inside, gripping her thigh. Got a chair? she asked in a gravelly tone. Uh, er, Carmagnola started. A chair! Yes, sit here, please. Carmagnola stood up and pushed the small chair to the woman. She sat and stretched out her leg with a sigh of relief. It was only then Carmagnola saw the blood stain along her thigh. You're bleeding, he said. Your vision does you credit. Are you a doctor? Yes. Lie still, please. I'll patch you up. Carmagnola pulled out his roll of surgical instruments, barely able to stop his hands from shaking with excitement. He cut the cloth around the woman's leg and sopped the blood up. There was a small ring of teeth marks on her thigh. The wound did not look too deep, thankfully. What did this? he asked. A damned botchling. A what? A monster the size of a baby. Likes to live in burrows. It was fast. Ah. Does it look bad? The wound? Er, no. But it may be infected. I'll clean and sterilize it. Thank you. The woman reclined in her chair and closed her eyes. Carmagnola did what he was trained to do. His shaking hands steadied, and he cleaned the wound efficiently. If I may ask, he said. Beatrix opened one eye. Hmm? It's just... Are you a monster hunter? Aye. Forgive me for saying, but shouldn't... Um... Shouldn't we leave that work to witchers? The woman snorted. She looked down at the doctor cleaning her wound. Not enough witchers to do the job. Someone's got to pick up the slack. Is that why you do it? She studied Carmagnola for a moment and grinned. I do it because it's what I was meant to do. Just like, I imagine, you became a doctor because it's what you were meant to do. Doctoring? Carmagnola rubbed his chin, smearing some blood on it. Yes, I suppose I think that. The woman laughed, high and bright. Carmagnola wouldn't have believed she was just attacked by a monster. He couldn't help but smile at her. I'm Beatrix, the woman said. What's your name?
That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X or at talesfromthewitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.